This episode is brought to you by Bray Wealth Insights. As an entrepreneur, there are many things to know. Bray Wealth Insights is in the business of helping business owners gain clarity. Many owners do not understand the importance of the relationship between their business, their personal estate plan, and their workforce. Bray Wealth Insights helps entrepreneurs to build business continuation plans, recruit, retain, and reward key employees. And with cutting-edge surveys and tools, they help owners to understand what their workforce values. For more information, you can contact Bray Wealth Insights at info at braywi.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-R-A-E-W-I.com. Now back to our regular scheduled programming. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Leverage and Beverage, a show about business building and insights into some really cool beverages. We will hear stories about business, talk business strategy, and, tat- and chat about tasting notes. Uh, I'm Greg Sobosinski. On the show today, we have uh, Derek Ducky Ryan of uh, Keller Williams. Derek, how's it going, man? Good, bro. You can call me whatever you want, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty broad scope. <laughs> um, so just for the, the people here, I mean, we're going to touch on a bunch of stuff today. Um, but you are the real estate guy, at least, uh, you know, are, what side are you on? Are you on the, the buyers, sellers? What, uh, yeah, both. I help people buy homes and sell homes, uh, help landlords rent out their properties, help tenants find properties, do some small commercial, um, vacant land farms, stuff like that. Um, pretty much revolving in the, the residential space mm-hmm. and, uh, very, very small commercial spaces. Cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so give us your overview on on I guess why real estate for you? What about real estate do you love and how you kind of got into that that field? Um, so why do I love it? Well, raging extroversion needs an outlet or you mm. end up pissing your wife off wife off really good. <laughs> and uh no, kind of plain, kind of serious. So I uh um I kind of stumbled into real estate. I went to Eastern University, which is where we met. Um, mm-hmm. studied psychology and I had a few different minors that I was thinking about making into other majors. And, um, during the summers and winters, I was working for an arborist, like a tree guy. So when I graduated from school, I had a ton of student debt. I had, uh, I, I remember this very specifically cause I was so broke that I had to remember it. So I could tell somebody someday I, um, <laughs> I had, uh, here, I, and here we are <laughs> exactly. So listen up. So I had uh, a $710 student loan payment. I had $600 to my name. I remember I was driving a 19 Toyota, 1992 Toyota Corolla that eventually ended up catching fire. Wow. And I kept driving it. And uh, I was living in a friend's basement that was like half finished. So like some of it was just like concrete. And um, I uh, remember just eating pe- uh, peanut butter and jelly and uh, eggs that was like all I could afford and like spinach to get my, you know, fiber. And, uh, yeah. So I was working for this tree guy when I graduated from school, I, um, did really well in college academically and came out and had no job lined up. I interviewed at Vanguard, like the, the big investing company. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, cause during college I had worked with a nonprofit with high school kids and, uh, they asked me a bunch of questions during this interview process at Vanguard. A lot of the questions were revolving around like, 
you know, tell me about a time where you were stressed out and like, or something was stressful. And I was like, well, last week I had this kid who like called me and he was like saying he was going to commit suicide. And I had to like get his parents involved and don't worry, the kid's like good now. And fast forward, they were like at Vanguard, they were like, yeah, we don't think you're a good fit for our <laughs> So, so that, you know, everybody said, go, you know, go to college, get a good job. And, you know, having a corporate job was going to be a good thing. Yeah. So I come out of school, no money, no job. Makes it think twice about being honest. Yeah, I mean? yeah, exactly. I should have lied. But uh, and it, honestly, that job would have killed me, you know, sitting in a, a cubicle mm. all day long, making not the greatest money from what I understand of starting positions at Vanguard. And um, friends of mine, when I graduated from school, they were selling their house with a local real estate team. And they said, hey, you know, you should look into it. These guys want to hire someone and the description sounds just like you. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll give it a look. And um, fast forward just about 10 years later, here we are. Um, so I, uh, interviewed with them when I was 21, they hired me. And, um, from there, you know, I got my license right after I turned 22. Um, my birthday's in August. So between graduation in May and mm -hmm. August, got my license and, um, been doing it ever since. So the first year I got into real estate, I was, um, the, the guy who owned the team, I was his assistant basically. Mm -hmm. And I sold, uh, two homes personally that year, that first year. The next year I sold 24 year three, I sold 47 and it's been over 50 every year since then. So, uh, that's kind of like the long and short of it, how I ended up getting into real estate. Um, but yeah, it's been, been a wild ride. What's like the marker. What's, what's like the, it seems like that seems like a common metric that people use in the, um, real estate businesses, homes sold. What was, is there like a marker that <laughs> for those of you who don't know he, he has a hilarious cat named crouton who just totally jumped on his wires am i still good you, you, i can still hear, hear me? you yeah, okay, you're good. yeah um the marker so um there's different studies out there um or different like metrics but from what i've heard in southeastern pa the average agent will sell somewhere in the range of like seven to eight homes a year now that includes people selling hundred houses, people selling zero houses. It's just the average. There's other people um, who have come out with other research, nationwide research that says roughly 80% of real estate agents will do one or less deals per year. Hmm. So you have the vast majority of people in real estate, more or less being hobbyists, not necessarily full-time professionals. And sometimes in real estate world, when you're a part-time agent, it can sometimes mean part-time service for mm. people, you know, cause sure. a lot of this is time sensitive. You know, you have people with urgent needs that need addressing quickly versus like, oh, I'll get to it. Like on Monday, you know, when I'm, yeah, or I'll get to it, excuse me, later on when I finish my regular job, nine to five, you know what I mean? And go from there. So why do you think that you think that's the main reason is because people have other main jobs that they're basically doing at the same time. And that's why they really can't put all their, you know, their, their focus is split. You know what I mean? Is that is that the main reason why you think some of these people have like those, those very low averages? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So the short answer is I don't know. The long answer is um, real estate's not an easy business. Um, so for the vast majority of companies out there, it's commission-based only. Um, there are a few companies who do um, like- um, A low sal salary. And yeah, like a salary plus bonus type thing. Sure. Um, but generally it's a commission-based business. And so- if you don't leave the cave, kill something, drag it home, you don't eat. And so the vast majority of people get into real estate doing uh, it on the side and then turning into a full-time thing later on when the income is equal to or greater than the income of your you know, full-time job. 
So personally, right. that's what I did. I, I worked for the tree guy for a year after I got into real estate and I did real estate nights and weekends. Hmm. So it's been roughly somewhere between like 70, 80 hour weeks, working weeks since I was 21. Um, you know, I wish that was a little bit different now. I'm, I'm probably closer to like 65 ish hours a week now. And that's just mm -hmm. like a normal week. You know, we're in the springtime at the moment. Uh, sometimes it can be a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that mindset for a second about you, you said killing something and dragging it home. You know, this, it's almost like this, you are master of your own destiny, so to speak. And which I think is, is the allure partly to the real estate business is the fact that, oh, if I get to X point, I will be able to do this independently and have other either freedoms and other ways, how I want to spend my time if I can get to a certain point. But again, it's that whole, how do I get there? What's needed to get there? But talk about fostering that mentality of um, basically dragging home what you kill versus the corporate scene. Um. To be honest with you, I've always been self-employed. I've never had a yes. corporate job. Yeah, so it's hard for me to yeah. speculate on that too. <laughs> so like, I mean, on, on one level, I, I could tell you like, you know, um, the, so I've done, other than real estate, and this sounds odd, mostly manual labor jobs. I worked for a tree guy, you know, for six years, um, summers and full-time year or two after that. And before that, I did random landscaping things and, you know, I've stuff with your hands outside and, mm -hmm. and things. And so, um, you know, I like that stuff. Uh, somebody asked me not too long ago, they're like, you know, if like real estate somehow like took a dump, like, what would you do? Would you like, you know, go get like a corporate job? I was like, I don't know. I'd probably just go carry logs again. You know, like I, I don't, I don't, everything's fine for me. I have no, yeah. no major qualms or anything about, uh, stuff, but the mindset, I think, the mindset that makes people successful in real estate is um, thinking through things like there is no plan B. Hmm. There's not another option. You know, I got into real estate and in my mind, I was like, look, I either I have all this debt. I have no money. I'm either going to have to get a job or go back to school to delay paying it or go into the military or, or something like I didn't know what I was going to. I didn't know how I was going to pay it back, you know. And so I was like, look, hell or high water, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if winning looks like working a lot, I'm game for that. You know, I'm not scared of like hard work. And so I think the people that succeed, um, they have no plan B, they, they burn the ships, right? Like I'm not going back. There's not like another option. I'm going to work until this figures itself out, you know? And a lot of times people, um, you know, before you, they, they, they often have like a breakdown before they have like a breakthrough in real estate world. Mm. It gets so hard that they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't make it. And that's like right when they're about to make it, you know, as, mm. as weird as that sounds, that's just kind of like the way it goes. So, um, I think that mindset is what makes people more likely to be successful is like, I'm going to figure this out no matter what. And I think the mindset that, um, it's going to come easy is what makes things not work out for a lot of people. Hmm. You'd be really surprised how many people think they're just going to get into real estate and crush it. And, um, you know, personally, what's worked really well for me is like, I'm not a super salesy guy. I've never really had, you know, a desire to like make tons of money or anything like that. 
Um, and so I just want to take good care of people and, you know, serve clients really well, you know, put people before the paycheck. Mm. And what often turns, uh, comes from that is that like clients, they don't feel pressure. They feel like, oh, this guy's looking out for my best interest. He's not trying to like, he's not trying to like get me to do something I'm not comfortable with or don't know about. Like, so I want to educate my clients so that they make an informed decision. And when they do that, and they feel comfortable with me and they have a successful transaction, whether that means, you know, buying a home or selling a home, they'll end up telling their friends about it. And so largely I have a referral based business now, Yeah, you know, I roughly 90 plus percent, 90 to 95% of my business comes from word of mouth, personal referrals. Uh, I don't pay for any marketing or advertising or anything like that. Which, which is kind of wild. So first of all, the, the plan B thing, it's like as much as that might be the key to success, not having a plan B, everybody wants a plan B. What if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't? Well, I need something. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's almost like the same things that I think a lot of, um, you know, especially boomer parents tell their kids is obviously they want their kids to be successful, but they also want them to kind of, a lot of the time, this isn't across the board, but a lot of what you hear is like, oh, what's the safe route? You know what I mean? How can I get a job as, you know, an attorney, a CPA or whatever it is, just to make sure that things are okay. And I heard a quote one time was really good about um, this guy. And he said his father was a great comedian and he really could have gone on to be something large, but he got a safe job as, as like an accountant. And the son goes on to say, basically like he ended up getting fired from that job. And it's like, you can also fail at things that you don't like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so, there's a there's a big myth that uh, having a corporate job means you have like a safe job. I don't know if you paid attention to anything going on with the economy right now or all these big corporate companies. You know, they're laying off people left and right. You know, Apple, Google, hmm. Microsoft, all these other Fortune 500 companies, they're laying off people all over the place. And, you know, those are people that had a quote, quote, safe job. They're working for one of the biggest companies in the world. I have zero concerns about my future employment status, my future income. And the reason I have zero concerns is because it's dependent on me showing up every day, working hard, serving my clients really well. It's like exercise. You don't go to the gym expecting to get fatter. You know, (laughs) you show up to the gym regularly, you know, you do the right things, the right activities. You are intentional with things like your diet, your sleep, your water intake, your exercise you're going to have positive results. Self-employed real estate world, similar. You show up every day, you make your phone calls, you treat your clients really well, you serve them, you work hard, you're diligent, answer your phone, be on time. You know, these things like, it sounds very rudimentary, but so does putting your sneakers on and going for a walk. But the results, they come over time, slowly but steady. Um, And, you know, there's somewhere in the range of like a, 90 to 110 uh, 20 day ramp up window mm-hmm. in real estate world between the action and the result. So like if I make a phone call today, I don't usually get any income from that activity until three to four months from now. Right. So it's, so it's like this process of building the pipeline, so to speak. Yeah. And you constantly have stuff coming in at different times so that you're being paid along the way, because that's one of the biggest things for self-employed people is, um, you know, while in the corporate world, you might be like, Hey, I have this, um, paycheck that's coming in on a regular basis, it's not like that. You know what I mean? You might have some months that are up, some months that are down, and it's going to fluctuate. You know what I mean? There's no really consistent pattern to it. So it's all about 
how can I make this um, steady for me? And it's really about building out that pipeline so you can have that consistent um, nature about your income. Yeah, a few, few uh, visual concepts for, for a sales pipeline. So um, first one would be farming, right? Leads, mm -hmm. somebody who raises their hand, says they want your product or service. Mm -hmm. Leads are seeds. Leads are seeds. They take time, nurturing, whether that be watering and sunlight for a plant, or whether that be consistent, ongoing communication, positive affirmation, um, information, you know, for a, a real estate prospect, like that's, those are my types of things. Mm -hmm. So leads are seeds. Um, so there are harvest times when it comes to, you know, uh, business and leads that you get most real estate leads need somewhere in the range of seven to nine communications or touches, if you will. Um, in order to convert to being your client. And even if they do convert to being your, your client, it could be another couple months before they transact and you actually get paid for that. Sure. So that's the first visual. Second one is like a pyramid. Mm -hmm. If you imagine like a uh, um, a pyramid, three, three sides, and you have a uh, three quadrants in it, you have mm -hmm. the top portion, the top tippy tip, that's roughly 10% of the mass of the pyramid. When it comes to leads roughly in real estate world, you know, roughly 10% of the leads you receive are going to do business today. One out of 10, 10 out of a hundred, 10% of the leads you get in mm -hmm. are going to do business in the next one to 30 days. Um, the middle quadrant, the middle portion of this pyramid, like roughly, um, 30% of the mass of the pyramid are leads that are going to be somewhere in the next one to six months before they transact and you get paid for that. Mm -hmm. And then the largest portion of that pyramid, the bottom portion, roughly 60% of the mass of the pyramid, roughly 60% of the leads that you get in are going to do a real estate transaction probably six months or further, maybe 12 to 36 months out. Mm -hmm. So like you were saying, you have to figure out how to make this consistent. Well, the best way to make it consistent is to find right now business, near future business, that middle third, and then long-term business, those leads. And then you have to create a pipeline of sorts and nurture them so that those seeds sprout, became, become something edible, you know, a paycheck um, at various times throughout the year. And so, you know, gratefully, I, I haven't had a, a, a year or excuse me, a month in probably nine years that I, I haven't, you know, missed a paycheck. So I've gotten paid every month for probably the past eight or nine years. And I guess to go back to that phrase you used earlier, it's like serving the client over the paycheck. You know what I mean? But it doesn't negate the fact that the paycheck is still an important piece of the picture so you can keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like, how do you balance this? Because then, you know, having that mentality of, hey, I'm not going to be super pressured. I'm going to be more of a servant. It becomes harder to do when the pipeline's not there. You know you what need I mean? A pipeline. Because if it's not there, then you become more needs based as opposed to this ability to be more servant based. And you're like, I need this to happen, not on the client's time, but on my time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so one of the things that's worked out really well. So, <clears throat> so when um, I first got into real estate, you know, I was 22. That first fall, I got licensed in September. That maybe October ish, November. Uh, still working for the tree guy during the week. And one of the things with working for this tree guy was we would snow plow when the snow, when it snowed. 
And so as it's snowing uh, that fall, I had brought a couple books with me. You got to wait for the snow to fall before you can really like, you know, plow. Right. And somebody gave me a total money makeover book by Dave Ramsey, which is essentially uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a financial book about how to manage your finances, how to pay off debt, live below your means, invest for the future, basic principles. And um, when I picked up this book and read it, keep in mind, $600 to my name, $710 student loan payment, self-employed business, not making a dime, right? I didn't make any money for the first six months or so I was in real estate. Uh, I read this book. It was like about paying off your debt and you know, saving and investing. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to change my life. And that led me into this process of paying off all my debt. And I haven't had a credit card in probably almost 10 years mm -hmm. uh, since I read that book. You know, um, you know, I, I do have a mortgage and I'm hoping to pay that mortgage off as soon as possible and then, uh, then never borrow money again. You know, I'll save money by cash, real estate investments. I invest for the future, you know, 401ks, Roths, you know, mutual funds, all that stuff. Um, so what I'm getting at when it comes to that sales, that like servant versus selling thing is that when you have, uh, when you're unattached to the outcome, I don't care if this closes or not, I'm going to personally be fine. The client has this like, feeling you don't need to you don't I I don't tell my clients almost everything I just told you right right but they have this feeling they know inside I'm not I'm not convincing you to do something I'm trying to help you right and when somebody when you can sit down with somebody and, and show them that and teach them and consult with them and guide them and they see oh this guy truly is not caring if I buy this house or not he's going to be okay he's not trying to convince me to do anything he wants me to be okay um, that really, that really speaks volumes and it, and it's what creates a referral based business because they trust you. Yeah. I think, I think the idea of being able to really latch on to that idea of the client sensing or not sensing that you need to have this happen. That's it. It's, it's, it's huge. It's massive because that's, that's what that trust is doing. Cause then at the end of the day, you're doing your job for them not for yourself. And and again, that I think that comes across whether it's communicated explicitly or not, it's going to come across in how you act about something. You know what I mean? Right. It can kind of be sensed. 100%. It's uh we call it commission breath. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that yeah, before. Yeah, so um you know, a lot of people real estate agents who are just in it for the money, we say they got commission breath uh because all their clients sense it. You know, a lot of people you see posting things, you know, like they look real estate agents classically look really good, dude. They look real good. They have fancy clothes mm -hmm. and they have nice watches and they drive nice cars and they are swimming in debt up to their eyeballs. They got no money. They have no idea what their future is going to look like. They have no plan and they're just trying to look good. Cause I think if I, if I put off this persona of being successful, then people will hire me. And that's true to some degree. Right. That happens. Um, I just don't care. No. <laughs> I just don't care, bro. I don't care. I'm yeah. like, listen, this is me. I'm going to sit down with you and I'm going to tell you all about me. And I'm going to tell you how I'm going to take good care of you. And when you have a, uh, there's this, uh, it's a, it's kind of a linear trajectory that has like a loop back and I'm going to explain it. So when you have, um, you have a experience, mm-hmm in this case, a, a real estate transaction. And that creates for me as a real estate agent, credibility. And that credibility 
creates a persona and then the persona circles back all the way to the beginning through referrals to becoming another real estate transaction. And so, you know, as one client buys a house and has a good experience, they're like, oh man, this guy is legit. And then I, you kind of get to be known as the person that's trustworthy. Hey, send your grandma to this guy. He's going to take great care of you. Believe it or not, I get tons of referrals from people that have had bad real estate experiences. Hmm. People are like, oh man, you know, you tried it with this agent. They screwed you over. That's okay. You got to call this guy. Hmm. He's not going to screw you. Or like, hey, you know, you've been looking for a house for a year and you've lost 10 houses because of multiple offers and you don't know why. He's like, you know, you should go talk to this guy because he's not going to lead you wrong. He'll he'll help you be successful in this crazy market. And so transaction in my world turns into a little bit of like a persona and creates credibility. And that turns into more referrals and circles all the way back to the beginning of this linear thing of a transaction. And then it just kind of cycles through. And as that happens more and more, it kind of becomes more galvanized. Mm. It's like, oh, this guy's going to take care of you. More referrals. What we might call, you know, like industry reputation. Repu- okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so talk to me about the, the service model in real estate. I mean, I feel like we hear a lot on like the sales side. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how many homes have you sold? What's your sales process, et cetera? What's, what's the service side of the business like? And across the board, is it something that um, lacks in the industry? Or um, what are the biggest pitfalls, I guess, that people have in the service side of the business? It's mm, a good question. Um, I would say that the couple of the biggest pitfalls that I see with real estate agents when it comes to serving their clients, um, the first one that came to mind was you teach people how to treat you. And uh, mm-hmm. that comes with expectations. And so I'll talk about expectations in a second. But uh, you teach people how to treat you. And so you can't get angry at your client who's running you out to see a house at you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night, if you agree to go out there and show them the house at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, Mm -hmm. you can't be angry about that. It's not their fault. They asked, you said, yes. Mm -hmm. Are you a man of your word or are you not? You know? Right. Um, So what real estate agents uh, in a lot of cases have very poor boundaries and what that turns into is burnout. Um, You know, they're they're like, oh, if I just work all the time, I'm going to sell more houses. And that's not exa- not exactly true. I'm actually working less than I've ever worked and I'm making more than I've ever made and I'm selling more houses than I've ever sold. Um, but I have an expect leading into the second thought, an expectation conversation with my clients. So um, when, before I got married, um, I had a, a, a friend who was older than me and had been married a long time. And I was like, hey man, like what what's the best like marriage advice do you have? And, you know, it's a normal question. A young guy asking a friend, you know, and um, he was like, it's all about expectations. And I was like, well, how do you know it's a legitimate expectation? He's like, there's three rules to an expectation. It has to be understood by both parties, agreed upon by both parties, and considered reasonable by both parties. And if you have those three parts of an expectation, then it's legit. For example, if I tell my wife I'm going to put the dishes away and she comes home, and the dishes aren't put away, she's going to be angry. Why? Because it was a understood, agreed upon, and reasonable expectation that I was going to put the dishes away. That's what I said. Um, so when I sit down with my clients in the very first meeting, now it's unusual in real estate world, um, specifically when you're buying a house, to have a consultation. Um, and I'll talk about a consultation in a minute, which leads into the service industry stuff. 
Um, but in that original consultation, before I show them any houses, we talk through the process of buying, what they're looking for, their budget, and the real estate market. And at the end of that conversation, I say, hey, look, just so you know, you're aware, here's what you can expect from me. I answer my phone 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., Monday through Saturday, except after five o'clock on Friday, because that's date night. You won't catch me on Friday, mm -hmm. Friday night, answer my phone. And then I don't usually work too much on Sundays. I might answer emails or write an offer or something, but I don't hold appointments on Sundays. And I was like, is that okay with you? And you know, most of the time they're like, yeah, that's totally cool. And so later on, if they're like, they're calling me, want to see houses at 7 p.m. on Friday, I'm like, hey guys, remember when I told you, go back to the expectation. Remember when I told you I'm, you know, Friday nights are date night for me and my wife. You know, I'm, I'm not available. I'm booked on Friday night. Um, what about like Sunday at one? Sorry, I'm booked on Sunday at one. Remember I said I can do seven to seven, Monday through Saturday, except after five on Friday. They're like, oh, okay, that's right. That's right. Let's find a time in that time frame. I mean, I'm giving literally, It's I think if you add up the hours of that, it's 12, 12, 12, six. I mean, that's it's like, like 85, 90% of the week. Yeah, I mean, so I'm like, if we can't figure out how to take care of your needs with 90% of my time, 80% of my time, and you have to operate outside of those things, that's okay. We just might not be a good fit to work together. Right. Um, and so I also asked them, hey, what what do you expect of me? Right? Because specifically with people that have had bad real estate experiences, they might have very specific expectations. Hey, look, I really expect that you're going to respond in the in, within two hours. Um, and I, I'll say something to the effect of, hey, if it's a nighttime or, you know, if I'm in an appointment, I'll be able to respond as soon as I wake up or, you know, with, within a couple hours after the appointment, I'm, you know, I'm pretty responsive type of guy. Um, but then you have to live up to that. You can't just blow smoke and then not follow through. Sure. So does that answer some of your, your questions? Oh yeah. 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 So but, I think those are things in the, in the service-based thing of what people do wrong because their clients don't feel they're being served well. If there's not a legit expectation of, you know, what they could expect and then follow through. And what it does from your side is as far as setting those boundaries of these are the hours where I'm applicable or, or can meet with you. It also, when they do ask for something else, like a Sunday at one, and you're like, oh, I can't do it because we already talked about this. They're like, oh, and they're understanding as opposed to being like, oh, this guy doesn't care about, you know, me or, or my, or what I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So by, by setting those rules up front, you kind of set the path for yourself and make things smoother going forward so that the client doesn't misinterpret anything that you're doing on your end. 100%. Yeah. And then there's a few other things with service-based industry stuff. So like I, I've heard people say a professional knows what they know and they know what they don't know and they know the difference. I believe uh, the guy who started Keller Williams said that. Um, so professionals know what they know, know what they don't know, and then they know the difference. So like I don't tell people that I know something if I don't actually know it. I'll say I'll find the answer. Sure. Right. So in real estate, you get paid usually in two primary ways. You get paid by who you know and then by what you know. So the who you know is often the size for me, the size and quality of your database. So the number of people that know you, like you, trust you, would do business with you, and the quality and depth of the relationships you have with them, that's huge. You know, that's huge because I I'm a referral based business, right? And then you also get paid in relation to what you know. If you don't know how to help somebody navigate this market, you don't know how to help somebody buy or sell a house, you can't make any money. You got to be competent. Um, and so those things are really why people end up failing. They either don't know how to navigate this market because they haven't taken the time to learn. They haven't really dove into like gaining knowledge and experience. 
-hmm. And then they expect that, you know, everybody's going to want to work with them and they don't invest in people and play this out for the long-term game. You know, like you had, in order to have a really solid um, time in real estate, you have to shoot for a successful career, not a successful year. Hmm. You know, if you try to burn bridges to make money today, it's not going to work out for you in the long run. You know, most people I know that are successful in real estate, they're willing to lose money on certain things today if it's going to pay off for them in the mm. long run. Yeah. Like, hey, there's this problem that popped up with this deal. I'll throw a couple bucks in and we'll figure it out. I might not make as much, but like at least my clients are going to be happy. Sure. What that turns into is referrals down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'm rambling on some of this. No, I, I like I like it, especially the the part about, you know, if you do right by your clients for the most part, I think even the service side, we see it in our side of the business too, um, in the, stuff, the work that we do. But like even the going above and beyond what you think other people may or may not do, but going ahead and doing that is is awesome. What are these? These are on nicotine pouches. What does mil- that mean? Eight milligrams. Dude, you gotta you're fueled by caffeine, nicotine, and freedom, bro. You gotta keep this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, bad habit. I stopped. I had to stop chewing. I thought, uh, I thought, I thought it was a Listerine thing or something. Listerine. <laughs> what do you think? I smell your breath from here? <laughs> no. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't do any nic- uh, nicotine, anything, if you don't, you know, smoke cigarettes, chew or anything like that, and you put one of those in, you're gonna get the spins, bro. Yeah. I, oh yeah, you're gonna you're you're gonna be downfall. Yeah, that's not that's not me. Your your wife's gonna be so angry with you. It's gonna be this pile of throw up, and you're gonna blame it on your cat. <laughs> um, the, so the service side, real quick. Yeah. So one thing that that you mentioned is your availability by phone. Yeah, and that's something I see in my industry all the time is calling, either being available to take a call, or calling out to some of the institutions that we work with, and them being available. I mean, it speaks volumes of both for yourself as well as those other companies, if they pick up their phone or are able to service you, it seems to be a growing thing where people either don't pick up their phone or they expect their website to be like a catch-all or they expect, um, I don't know, you know, you know what I mean? It, it's like they, they want to almost remove that personal touch of the phone call out of the equation. Um, so talk to me about that in the real estate world. Is that something that you... You see a lot. Is that their agent? Are most agents in the industry expected to um, answer their phones, or is that something that's kind of um, moving to the wayside, and that, so that those who do it will stand out even more? Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, that's a really interesting thing because um, I I often get complimented um, that I am responsive, you know, from both my clients but also other agents. Mm-hmm. Um, so as interesting as it is in in this business, I usually treat. Um, cooperating agents, agents on the other side of the transaction, like my clients. Hmm. I try to take good care of them. I try to te- uh, treat them I w- the way I would want to be treated on the other side. And what that turns into, the longer you're in the business, is people like to work with you. Yeah. And so if push comes to shove, and it's like between your client's offer and another client's offer, but they're like, yo, duck, he'll get the deal done. This guy's responsive. He knows what he's doing. He's competent. He's going to take good care of things. He's not going to blow uh, little things out of proportion and make them seem like bad things. Mm -hmm. He's going to handle this. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That goes a long way. It goes a long way. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think I can't remember if I put my phone on do not disturb or airplane. Um, I put it on do not disturb. So I have one missed call, three, four text messages in the the past few minutes that we've been sitting here. 
And what I'm going to do after this, when I get into my car, before I drive away, I'm going to respond to all of them right away. And so like my Saturdays are crazy. Um, so Saturdays are like, <laughs> someone was like, so why do you work on a Saturday? I'm like, bro, Saturday for real estate agents is like Sunday for pastors. Like, <laughs> I was like, it, you're just working. It's just the way it is. And so, you know, I usually start around seven on Saturday. I get up around five 30, start at seven. And I usually work straight through till seven on a Saturday. And that usually is consisting of uh, sometimes client meetings, somebody who wants to potentially hire me a buyer or a seller, but a lot of it is showings. You're running around with your buyer clients, showing them houses. And so when I'm in front of my clients, I don't answer my phone. I don't respond to text messages and I don't answer phone calls. The only time my phone comes out is if I need a flashlight because we're looking in a crawl space or a basement or something. Right. Um, but then when I get into my car between houses, between appointments, I respond to all the calls, all the voicemails, all the texts. And I do that during the week also between seven and seven always. Hmm. And if, if it's a, if I have a client who like calls me at like 11 o'clock at night, or text me super late at night. I'm a heavy sleeper. I don't wake up. But what I do is I respond first thing when I wake up. So they're getting texts at like sometimes 4.30 in the morning, 5 a.m., 5.30. And I, hey, if they if they like triple called me, I'll call them that early. And if they don't like that, they get the picture real quick. You know, I'll respond ASAP. Shoot me a text <laughs> in the morning. I'll respond, you know. And um, so, yeah, you got you to gotta pick up your phone. It does make life a lot easier. And it's like... um. So for a lot of self-employed industries, things like contractors, for most contractors, if you just, <laughs> you just, <laughs> just cats jumping on the wall for no reason, it's very funny. There's like a little dent in the wall and he's like trying to get it. Um, but for most contractors, if they show up on time, do a quality job and are responsive yeah, and just operate within the expectations they set for you, I'm going to do it at this price and this amount of time. And this is what you can expect. They're not leaving the job early. They're not not responding to their calls. They're not doing shoddy work. They're going to have tons of business. And you know that's the truth because it is so daggone hard to find a contractor right now, a plumber, an electrician, anybody. It's so difficult. Um, so for real estate, it's similar. If you just respond, you take good care of people. You do what you're say, you say you're going to do. You know, you're a person of integrity. Your thoughts, deeds, actions match up as best as they can, you know, you're going to, you're going to be okay, but it does take a couple of years to build that, that sort of reputation, that business. So usually by year, like two to four, give or take a full-time real estate stuff. Usually the people that stay that long will be in, you know, full-time for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, I saw this other stat it was somewhere it was like 85% or 87% of real estate agents don't last more than five years. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the same in um, certain financial services industry. It's like, it, that seems to be a marker, like five years seems to be like the the hilt where either people are like, okay, I, I can make this work long-term or I'm going to just do something else. Yeah. And so when you see the people that have been in real estate 20, 30, 40 years, there's usually a reason. Mm -hmm. if, if, especially if they've been doing it full time, if, you know, if they're selling, you know, above 10 houses a year, 20 houses a year for 30 years, this person has something worth saying, you know, it's a few reps. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They've been up and down this road quite a few times. You know, if, if you're, if somebody's like, yeah, I've been in real estate 50 years and like, okay, great. How many homes have you sold in the past year? One. Oh, well, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> you just been hanging out, you know? Uh -huh. um, so yeah, you, you want to ask some questions. So if somebody's like sitting down with an agent interviewing multiple agents, what I usually will say is like, you want to ask these three questions. Are you full-time or part-time? 
oftentimes part-time agent means part-time service. Uh, how many deals have you done in the past uh, year? Because that will sort of tell you, is this person doing average, you know, seven, eight houses or less than that, maybe more than that, right? Or, uh, and then the third question is what differentiates yourself from other agents? Um, so if you were to ask me, I think we've answered most of those for me personally. And I would say for me, the differentiator would be um, uh, that I, I have a referral-based business. In real estate, people have a lot of shiny objects. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things that are, that they're chasing. Mm -hmm. They want to buy leads from the internet, Facebook. You know, I, I'm going to do flips this year. You know, I'm going to do wholesaling. I'm going to buy leads from Zillow, you know, mm -hmm. SEO. I'm going to do all this stuff. What people don't chase, that's the most valuable thing out there. It's the diamond that nobody goes after is the people that already know you, like you, trust you, and would do business with you, your database. Mm -hmm. If you invest in your relationships for the long term, you build quality, genuine relationships where you can be genuinely happy that a friend of yours used a different real estate agent and you can still in your heart be okay with that and happy for them because they knew you were in real estate, but there was some reason they chose somebody else. If you're okay with that in your heart of hearts, you know, you have a genuine relationship with that person. If you look at that person and you get super resentful and angry, sure, it hurts. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've, I've been in that position probably more times than I can count where a friend uses someone else and that's okay, you know? Um, but like you have to, if you're not happy for them, you, the next question you should ask yourself is, do I have a genuine relationship with that person? Hmm. And if you don't, well, then there's no, there's, of course they went with somebody else. They might've had more of a genuine relationship with them, you sure. know, yeah. or there could be one other, you know, other reasons. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's jump in here. Uh, and we got, you know, a new England style on the show today. Cause I know you're a fan of, uh, some of the hazy guys. Hazy. Um, so what do, what do you think about this? This is, um, Lawson's finest liquids, hazy rays. Um, I think it's, uh, I haven't seen this uh, super much, um, in the past. I think it's relatively new. Um, but what do you think? Um, it's good. I typically like a, a double dry hopped. Mm. Um, I like that like dank, mm. you know, kind yeah. of if I were to comp uh, compare that to like a, a different thing for those of you who might not be like beer drinkers, it's kind of like if you like wine, some wines that are like maybe like a Bordeaux or something has like a little bit of like a barn house, mm. like taste smell to it, it smells kind of like dirt. You know, I'm not saying this beer tastes like dirt, but for uh, a beer that's like double dry hopped, there's like the sense of like earthiness, like a strong scent, almost like a resiny, sappy type mm. like flavor that comes off of it. And I I tend to lean more towards those. A lot of them tend to be more of like a seven to like eight and a half ABV, like sure. per center. Um, this one's like a little bit lighter. It's like five-ish. Um, yeah. I would say if you like something like if you're just like a basic beer drinker and you like something like a wheat beer, this would be like a pretty safe bet. If you're trying to like taste a, like a new England style, if you're like, um, like a cold snap or like a, some kind of Sam Adams type, you know, just something, something along those lines, you might not, you might not have any issue with something like this. Or if you're like a lager drinker and you're trying to jump into maybe a little bit more of like an AP, uh, IPA type thing, you know, that was really good, man. That was, uh, you have the full picture there, man. That was really, is that, I, I mean, you drank more beer than me probably. What do you think about this? I think it's really good. I mean, it's a little bit low on the alcohol side for my taste. I tend to like the, you know, um, I think 6.8% is the perfect alcohol for a beer. I really do. It's like seven, you can start to get a little bit aggressive in some of the notes, but I think six, just below that, I do like a lot of sevens and stuff, but um, it's a little light for my my taste. 
Um, but overall, I mean, it's it's compared to some others that I've had in that five range. This is much more flavorful. Yeah, I've had some that are just like you know, it's not to bring up Bud Light. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to put them more in the news. Really, they have already been recently. Um, but you know, this this is very good. You know, you got some nice um, tropical. Um, you know, citrusy, citrus, orange. Um, you get, you get, you almost like a, a small sampling of what, of what the, the dankness could be. Yeah. You get some of that, that excess hop of, of either like that, um, that little bit of gra- grassy notes on, on the nose. It's like a more experienced blue moon. Right. You know, you, uh, you, not, yeah, not, not like the, uh, the Belgian white style, but the, the New England style and having that, that citrus quality, but a little lower on the ABV. It's, it, it's a nice drink. I really, I really do. And like, and Lawson's one of my favorites. So sip of sunshine, double sunshine, um, it's some of the best beer you can get. So yeah, on the higher alcohol content type thing, I don't like when beers get a little too sweet. You know, mm-hmm. obviously when you get a little bit of sugar in there, that's a higher alcohol content when you're brewing and things like that. You know, it's an easy way to kick up uh, the ABV. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but like, you know, I don't like when they get too, too sweet. I did have one not too long ago that is more of a ramped up version of something like this. Uh, Trogue's Lolly Hop. Oh yeah. I don't yeah. know if you had that one. Do you like it? Um, I do like it. It's not super sweet. It has a lot of the things we just described in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I think it's 8.2. Um, so, so it's a little, it's a little higher. You got, you know, you can't be, can't yeah. be throwing those back all day. S- sweetness in an IPA is something I'm not really um, a fan of in general. I either, either um, because it means a few things, either it's not fully fermented and that's not fermented all the way through. Mm. There's residual sugars left in the beer or it's a situation where there's maybe either, you know, added milk sugar or something like that for, for back sweetening. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really a fan of that either. Um, so you don't like milkshakes? Uh, milkshake? It's uh, not my favorite. I, I've had a couple that are, that are, that are interesting and, and, um, do a good job, but a lot of them to me are just, they kind of taste too sweet. They're a little, you know, um, a little bit thicker, a little bit syrupy. It's just not really my, my, my thing. I kind of like the more danky, grassy, I'm a big fan of some of the um the West Coast stuff, which I'm glad is is kind of coming back a little bit. Yeah, they they really went away for a hot minute there. It was hard to find, man. I couldn't go to a brewery and just get a normal either American IPA or a um you know a West Coast style that wasn't hazy. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Just like, like a plain, like a, like a plain American IPA, just like a like a like a. You ever had a uh, Bell's Two Hearted Ale? Yeah, it's great. Awesome beer, like great, one of the best of all time. And I, it's hard to it's, it was hard to find that especially at local breweries. You, again, you can go to the store and you can find some of the stuff, but like, do you like flat tire then? Uh, fat tire, fat tire. That's what I meant. And yeah. uh, I do like it. Cause they're out of Denver, right? Uh, so it's new Belgium. It's a fat. And then they do fat tire. They're at, they are out of Denver. Um, they have another um, one down in North Carolina, but um, I do like it. It's a Belgian style. Can I tell you um, one of the worst beers I've had recently. What? One of the absolute worst beers I can, I've had in memory. What's that one uh, company? They uh, they have all those like obscure, inappropriate names of, of, about dogs. It's like uh, they have this one as Raging Bitch. Oh, uh, Flying Dog. Oh, I hate their beer so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. Um, you know, the funny story is uh, Raging Bitch was the first um, the first beer I ever had. So our first, first, not first beer, first um, craft beer I ever had. Yeah, it was probably like 10 plus years ago. Yeah, I mean, I would probably say it was one of one of the first I had and I disliked it so strongly. It was also, I'm pretty sure it was like my bachelor party. Was it Raging Bitch or no? It, no, it was that one. But yeah. yeah, it was like, it was mixed in with Golden Monkey. And then there was like, oh, yeah, well, somehow that's... wine got mixed in and it was a long night. Not yeah, good. Yeah, it's a, it's, uh, a, it's a crazy stomach cocktail. For so you. they, the uh, fly, Flying Dog, you said, mm-hmm. 
they came out with this one. It was like a 10.2 IPA and it tasted so bad. You're like, you're the only reason you're drinking that beer is you're like, you're getting a buzz quick, but dude, what was it? I can't remember the name. I tried to forget it, Uh, (laughs) but like, dude, it was so bad. And it like, it was one of those, uh, I saw this meme. They said, um, if you choose, if you choose, uh, the real estate agent based on the price, it's like choosing the wine based on the price. Mm. You can't, you won't remember where you ended up and why you got there. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's the same thing with that. It tasted so bad. And I was like, I had such a headache. You have one of them and you're like, I just feel so bad. Like your whole body gets all greasy and you're like, dude, this is like, I don't know what you put in this, but I'm, I'm not about it. I'm going to look it up after the show. It was was disgusting. I think it was a limited, limited offering, but (laughs) not a fan. Well, you can see why. (laughs) (laughs) I should have, I should have known. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I this, this is super crushable. This is super good. These guys, I think, have some of the best uh, water quality that they use in their beer. I was reading about them one time. They have like a whole, I think they have a separate guy at their brewery who just in charge of the water, like paid full salary just to manage their water supply. I mean, that's that's when you know you got you know it's, you got to dial everything in. You got to dial it from the, the the bones of the beer. And so, being in southeastern PA, what do you think about Victory? Um, Victory is kind of like this old staple of the area. Um, I, I like it. I, th- I, th- I like it to a degree. I think it's, um, I don't know. It's not something it's pretty widely available. I'm not going to necessarily drive out of my way to get something. I, they do have some interesting, like one-off things here and there. Um, haven't had some of their stuff probably in a couple of years now. Um, but the stuff I've, I have had, it's, you know, I would say it's, it's, um, pretty good, pretty good or, or better plus, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. like the, the pinnacle it's, it's, it's fine, but it's not like my, my, my favorite, favorite beer. I would say that about most Sam Adams. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I would say it's like, eh, you know, I mean like I'll drink it, but it's not like, and, and I think, I think part of the reason for this is because it's kind of the natural extension of what's happening over the past couple of years with all of this new beer coming in, all these smaller craft breweries is people get way more specific about the things that they like were able to try much, much more beer than there ever was available. I remember when I could like 10, 12 years ago, keep up with, you know, the beers as they were coming out. Right. And I could, Oh, I, that has a new one. I can try that one. It, it, it's impossible now. It's absolutely impossible. And uh, so, but what, what that's done is people are getting more reps on trying beers and getting a better taste for what beers, good beers should taste like. And so other beers that, have, and this is only part of the equation. Other beers that don't quite meet that standard kind of fall off. I will say though that along those same lines, you've also introduced a ton of new styles, like this milkshake style, which I'm not really a huge fan of, or some of these other, um, you know, kind of uh, flash in the pan styles that um, don't really follow what traditional beer is. And so people might drink that, and now that's their expectation of what beer is. Yeah. And so you have all these really good classic styles that no one's trying because this is what they expect from beer. Yeah. And so it's kind of both ways. I think, I think you have people who are, have a better rounded palate in, in some instances. So they're more particular at the same time. You also have people who might not know what good classic beer actually tastes like because they're so inundated with these newer opinions. Yeah. And I find like, as the seasons change, my flavors, my preferences on the flavors change. Oh, absolutely. So like, for example, like over the winter, one of my favorite go-tos, you know, it's heavier stout type, um uh, beer is like have you ever had dragon's milk um new, new holland right yeah new holland beer pennsylvania beer it's like a 12 percenter dude it tastes so good i mean it's a little sweeter 
but like the milk, milk style, right? Yeah. Yeah, dude. But you won't even know you're drinking it. You're like, it's like a super juiced up Guinness, you know, more flavor, all that stuff. I know there's a lot of people that are be angry about that, you know, if they hear this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like, so like, and I would never drink that like 95 degrees outside. I'm not sitting there drinking, you know? Right. Um, but then, you know, in the summertime, you know, just like beers, you know, I'm not trying to drink like a heavy red wine, you know, yeah, sure. I get, you know, a little white wine on some ice, you know, that goes a long way, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is that kind of something you, yeah, you know? I think it's pretty natural. I mean, in the, in the spring, you know, you have a lot of the, um, you know, some of the lighter styles out, like the Belgian wits will come out. You have like some of your pale ales, you'll have like, farmers ales uh, and stuff. Yeah, like farmhouse ales, sour beers, stuff like that will come out in the spring. Uh, it kind of works well through the summer. You get some of your, um, you know, your saisons, um, your gozas, um, and, uh, and then you kind of have that, that shift. You know, right at the end of like August into September, we have Oktoberfest beers. Oof, start I do beers. not like Oktoberfest beers. Well, I don't, I don't know if you do or not. Do you, you, you don't? I, I, I because... don't. I haven't had one. I So I had I had the Sam Adams Oktoberfest. You know, that was like the only October beer for a long time, you know, in this area. Um, And uh, after I had that, I was just like, no. And my wife likes pumpkin everything. You know, mm. come August, she's like, oh, yeah. pumpkin spice. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, don't put that in a beer. Well, dude, the, the pumpkin spice is something like, it's like a different animal. Like I'm not really a big fan of pumpkin beers or squash beers in general, but, um, there tend to be like cinnamon bombs and you know what I mean? It's just not, not egg. Yeah, exactly. But there's like a, um, the basic Oktoberfest, like Marzen beers are, are really good in my opinion. I, I like them a lot. So if you ever get like, um, what's the one, uh, Bell's has a really good one. I think it's just their standard Oktoberfest. It's, it's a super um, it's kind of along the lines of an amber ale, but like, it's, it's just really solid. You know what I mean? It's not, it's nothing flashy, nothing, um, super sweet or cinnamony or anything like that. It's just, it's really, really nice though. So you moved not too long ago and you're in a town now, which has been, you know, uh, according to a lot of people, like the, one of the largest brewery per capita within a square mile radius. I think there's like 15, 16 yeah, yeah, breweries. Yeah. How have you liked that? Yeah, I have liked it a lot. <laughs> it's Too really much? cool. I, I, I'm trying to, you know, uh, get a foothold here as far as, uh, you know, being regulars at a, at a couple of them. Uh, I haven't tried all of them yet. Um, because the other problem is even at the restaurants, there's a lot of good tap menus of beers that are elsewhere and they're just good beers. So, yeah. um, I think one of my favorites though is, uh, um, Root down, yeah, big root down guy. I like the uh, Bine is awesome. Then that won a bunch of awards. Yeah, dude, it won uh, 2018 Great American Beer Festival gold medal. Is that that's like a crazy honor, right? What is it's like the biggest beer festival in the country, and it's uh, they won gold medal in the IPA category, which is the the largest category in the festival. Yeah, it's so pretty incredible. It's pretty pretty amazing. Um, but it goes to show it's, it's pretty cool to see um, some of the, the smaller breweries cracking through. It just goes to show that you know some of the smaller breweries can hit that pinnacle. You know what I mean? It's yeah. One of their best beers I ever had for my palate, um, a few years ago, um, maybe three years ago, four years ago before COVID, um, they had a, uh, they called it a farm ale or a farmer's ale. And it was a, a weedy type beer. It was maybe March, April when I had it. And it was made, uh, to be just like the beers that like farmers would have had. Cause that was like a normal staple of, of a, you know, uh, American farmers diet and throughout a lot of the, the world, really, you know, that you come in, you're working outside all day. You have something that has some calories, something that is cold, you know, something that knocks the edge off a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I had this and I haven't had it there since. I don't even know if they still made it or if it was just like the guy was back there experimenting one day, but dude, it was so good. It stuck with me. And it was years later. I was like, dude, this was a very, very good beer. Like I just loved it. I enjoyed it. I only had one glass. Good. Yeah. yeah. That's the, um, the, but I'm sure you would like to have another if you could. Oh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> See that that's the thing. That's the way I, I try to, at least for me, that's how I describe a really good beer is one that, um, you have like a, a small glass or a glass and you're like, yeah, I'll have another one of those. You know what I mean? If, it, if it's the point where it's too overwhelming, like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I'm a really small pour or, you know, it's probably not like an awesome beer or it's just a bad beer. Like your beer, you probably wouldn't want another one of those 10.2%, you know, you couldn't pay me. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even go, go close to that with a 10 foot pole. Um, but yeah, this is good overall though. I, I think this is, this is pretty solid. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to have to try more of these guys' beers um, because I've seen their this brand more in the past probably six months mm-hmm. than I ever remember seeing it. And yeah. I don't know if that's one of those things where you get a new car and you drive it and you see it everywhere kind of thing. Yeah. Because I can only say I've before today, I've had two sips of one of one of their beers before. You should. It's one of my favorites. You really should. Are they local? Uh, no, they're Vermont. Okay. But uh, there's but, nothing going on in Vermont. There's not much out there. I guess they're, they're making good beer though. That's all they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> there's literally Vermont is like, per, as far as statewide, they have the most uh, breweries really? per, per capita for the state. Yeah. And it's also probably, uh, you know, and the, they probably have like, you know, eight of the top 10. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, really? It, at least, it, it, it's, of course, it'll be opinion based, but uh, at least a lot of my favorite breweries are, are there. What's like one or two other like popular ones? Um, so are... the Alchemist who does Hetty Topper. Okay. Uh, Hill Farmstead, who's you know an old school farm brewery, and they do some awesome, awesome stuff. Um, Barrel aged, um, they do a lot of classic, really good IPAs as well. Um, then you have Lawson's Finest. There's also Burlington Beer Company is up up there. Um, Fiddlehead is up there. You know, so there's there's a big swath of, and like I said, it's it's almost there's so many now, it's so hard to even keep track of what's new, what's up and coming, what's you know. So what what would you say is the best up and coming brewery that you've you know, somewhat newer to like the scene that you're, you're interested in. Um, up and coming where that you've just kind of recently tasted. Maybe they've been around for a while, but maybe newer to this area. Um, this area specifically, um, I don't know. I, I honestly, it's, uh, I've been so busy with other side projects. It's been hard for me to kind of, uh, just bounce around and see as, as much stuff. But I will say is there are certain breweries who might not be rated the highest overall, mm-hmm. but that doesn't negate the fact that they can brew good beer, even on a one-off basis. Sure. I've gone into breweries that weren't like this, the highest rated or that most touted, but I've gone into some of them that had very good beers. So it, it just goes to show that you should pop in to your local places every now and then and just yeah. try, see what they have on. See if it's get, a style a you, flight. Right. If it's a style you haven't had before, or if it is a style you've had and you can compare it to others, it's just a really good um, time to do that because a lot of places are just brewing really good stuff and it's good to just pop in and try it. Have you had Harris Hill recently? No, I you haven't ever had them. Never. No. So a uh, restaurant popped up just about a year ago, um, 10 miles West of here, um, just North of Chester Springs. And um, they are looking to open a new location, but dude, they've had some of the, the more creative and like, just like tasty beers. So they came out with this new one just recently. Um, we're in the month of May, you know, Cinco de Mayo is coming up. So they introduced this new one. It's like a Mexican chocolate stout mm-hmm. and dude, it has jalapenos in it, bro. 
Nice. I like there is this very so it tastes chocolatey, not sweet, not sweet at all. Not sweet at all. But you definitely you're like, this tastes like chocolate. And then um on the on the finish has this very mild, like peppery, but not just black pepper, like a very distinct jalapeno-y flavor. And if you've ever had like Mexican hot chocolate, if you in travels or anything like that, traditionally it's like a, a, a spicy ch- chocolatey drink, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like we would think of as like warm, hot cocoa, you know, by the fire. It's like, you know, a chocolatey drink that has like peppery spices in them. Yeah. And I, I thought it was really interesting. Cool. I tasted it and I was like, dude, this is really interesting. And yeah. he was like, yeah, I just like came up with it one day. So the guy who owns the restaurant also writes all the, the, um, the the beers he he creates all the beers he has somebody make them for him but he comes up with the recipes and i was like what a creative mind this guy puts out great food but he also has this mind where he can like put together flavors in a beverage hmm. you know yeah 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 there's um i don't know if you've ever heard of this but there's actually a beer i think it's from uh, down in texas somewhere i forget the name of it but it was like a i think a traditional like um mexican lager beer and it the way it was packaged was uh i don't know what kind of pepper it was might have been a jalapeno like a poblano or something the pepper in the bottle huh so it's like a think of like a corona but yeah it has like this, a tacate or something yeah it has like a pepper just chilling in the clear bottle huh pretty wild huh dude that, that's like one of those uh you know you go to a bachelor party and there's like the worm in the in the vodka bottle or the te- uh <laughs> tequila bottle and it's like whoever whoever finishes it has to eat the worm <laughs> you ever heard done that I've never done it. I don't, I hope I never do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this, this is really good. I like this a lot. Um, this will be a perfect segue back into, I, I did want to touch on one more thing, dude, here. So um, the re- the response time, that, that that's huge. That really sticks out to me as something that's important. So for you in the real estate world, it seems like you're getting back same day or, or next day. I try to do one business hour. Yeah. And so for me, <laughs> so for that's me, good. one business hour is seven to seven. Monday through Saturday, except for after 5 p.m. on Fridays. What do you think? What do you think is, you know, a reasonable time to get back for for say the average business, uh, maybe slightly tailored towards real estate. But what do you think is a good response time in general? Same day, same day, but depends on the hour of the day. Mm-hmm. So, like, if somebody sends me a text at 9 a.m. and I don't get back to them till 9 a.m. the next day not so good, you know, like not so good. Um, so for example, I'll give you an example. I I dropped the ball on something. Um, I had some clients text me yesterday, two 30 in the afternoon. Yesterday ended up being a super crazy day. I was working till like eight, right. It was just a crazy day. Um, you know, interfacing with clients on appointments on the phone, whatever. It was a busy day. Um, and these people happen to also be out of the state traveling and they're not coming back till Saturday. So in the back of my head, I was like, ah, you know, they're, they're, there's nothing urgently important. They're just talking about a property they might be interested in seeing in four days. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a huge sense of urgency there. Um, I have been working with them for a while and I've always been crazy responsive. So like there was a little bit of like, um, um, back to marriage. So in, when you get in an argument with your wife, if there's no emotional piggy bank there, the argument's going to be bad. And what I mean by that is, you know, by putting the dishes away, bringing her flowers, 
being nice, you know, doing all these things. You're putting little, little coins in this like emotional piggy bank. And so if for some reason you drop the ball on something and a couple of those coins come out, you know, she's not going to be super angry. It's not going to blow up with clients. It's a relationship. And so if you have a lot of, um, emotional rapport, you have a relational piggy bank with that client, there's going to be a little bit more leniency, but that mm -hmm. takes time. It takes trust, takes consistency. And so for me, when I'm interacting with my clients, if it's the very first week we're working together, you got to be super on it. Yeah. If I've been working with a client, some clients I've had for nearly the entire time I've been in real estate, almost 10 years, repeat clients. I've helped them buy and sell five, six, seven houses. And so um, you know, if they reach out to me and, you know, we got a lot of inside jokes or something, you know, I don't really have to be concerned about maybe saying the wrong thing, you know, cause we know each other, we have a relationship, right? Great book. I don't know if you ever read it. It's called fierce conversations. No, never had, it. uh, it's, uh, basically the premise of the book is how to have hard conversations, both in life and in business. And uh, there's a lot of really great things to take away from this book. But one of them that's really helpful is that the conversation you're having is the relationship. So in my world, what that looks like is a uh, consistent communication with my database, with my clients. So I try to touch base with my clients and I'm not always perfect, but I try to touch base with my, the clients that are actively looking for a home, actively on the market or preparing their house to go on the market a minimum of once a week. That could be a text. Usually I'll follow up the next week with an email, follow up the third week with a phone call, fourth week back to a text. And so cycle through it. So it's not like a redundant form of communication. It's they're getting it's like call, call, call. Yeah. It's like, it, it varies. Right. Um, right. And that's like, that's a minimum. And then some clients that are doing things to um, like actively, like some clients I've texted with four times today before we met, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. So it's like, you know, you, you have, there's, there, it just kind of depends. But when it comes to your database, the conversation is the relationship people work with who they like, trust, respect, and admire. You can't work, you can't like, trust, respect, or admire somebody that you don't know. You might have some of those, but you're not gonna like, like I respect The Rock. I think he has a good work ethic. Would I trust him to do a business transaction? I don't know anything about that. So I try to touch base with, and I, this is where as I've gotten busier, I've had a pain point in my business is um, I try to touch base with everybody in my database, people that know me, like me, trust me, would do business with me, have done business uh, with me. I try to touch base with them a minimum of, of like two to three times a year, ideally four times a year, once a quarter. Um, but I need to, I need to kind of step up that game. Um, maybe eventually hire an assistant, somebody in the office to, to help with some of that stuff. But, yeah. That's, that's a good point. I mean, that's the same, the same stuff that, you know, we work through too is, um, you know, it's again, because that, that all filters into your pipeline anyway. You know right. what I mean? It's, it's all, it is it's, almost most businesses, especially, um, service oriented stuff. It's, it's all, it's all relationship stuff. <laughs> Back to crouton nuisance, man. Um, but yeah, man, back to the point you mentioned, um, you know, even some of this basic stuff, like following up on phone calls and, and doing stuff like that. If you're someone who's cognizant and relationship oriented in general for the service industry, the bar is pretty low. If you just get back to people and even if you're not perfect, just let them know what's going on most of them are still willing to work with you. And I think sometimes people just don't don't either have the wherewithal to do that. They don't want to, they think everything has to be like perfect, perfect, perfect all the time. 
And so they just, they just, oh, wait, I got to wait till it's perfect. And then I'll call them. You know what I mean? But in that, in that meanwhile, the client's wondering what's going on. You know what I mean? So even just reaching out to them and saying, hey, we had a snag here. We're getting it fixed. We should have it resolved in a few hours. Yeah. And I think, I think over communication is better than less communication. Sure. Yeah. So like, you know, to, to that point, like, you know, when I'm interacting with clients, I'm like, hey, look, listen, we have an issue. I'm addressing the issue. Here are two potential solutions. It's helpful to bring options, viable viable options, viable solutions when you have a problem. Here's option one, it could work. Here's option two, it could also work. Which would you prefer? I'm 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 on it though. Um, and then kind of bringing them into that problem solving. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think like it's it's just a it's a very interesting interesting thing. And and I think when you when you communicate well, and it, I think it's okay to be wrong sometimes. Like I was telling you, I was. I was telling you about that one agent earlier before we we got on this, you know, like yeah, it's okay yeah. to not be perfect. Right. And to like <laughs> own your mistakes for those of it. So just to fill everybody in, I was on the phone with this agent, very nice agent. We were interacting on a communication about a client's transaction. I've never met this person. They had a, um, I would say gender neutral voice. And gender neutral name. And a gender, gender neutral name. And I'm a fairly casual guy, you know, I'd like to have a relationship with somebody. I try to treat everybody the same. I'm not going to try to pose to be somebody I'm not. I'm not going to be like super uppity or anything like that. And, you know, this is maybe the fourth or fifth time I've had a lengthy conversation with this person. And I was like, all right, brother, I'll talk to you soon. And <laughs> when I said that, you could just hear the tone, like the other side of the, the thing. I could, I could hear the facial reaction of the person on the other line. I could see like just a squinting face of like, I'm a female and, <laughs> and I'm going to have to own up to that. I'm going to give give that person a call and be like, Hey, look, I am so sorry. I said, brother, and I come to now understand after looking this per person up on the internet that you're a female, there wasn't there her picture anywhere. There nothing like that. And I, I was embarrassed. Um, and you know, but I think that people, you know, there's trust there. Like I messed up, I'm going to do the right thing. You, you, you want to not mess up, but like when you do, you know, just own up to it. Don't try to brush it under the rug. You know, don't try to like be somebody you're not. Don't try to, mm -hmm. bad news doesn't get better with time. You know, all those things. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk a minute before we sign off here about um, building like a winning mindset. So I think a lot of these things, especially in the self-employed space, there's going to be ups and downs. This is kind of the nature of it. There's going to be good days, bad days, whatever. Um, talk about the process or maybe some of the pieces that you put together for yourself as far as, um, fortifying your own mind to be resilient against, you know, challenges or whatever might come your way. Yeah. I will touch on, on in that same vein, but something we were talking about earlier about like communication. So I had in the back of my head, I forgot to say it was like, I know I need a vacation when a client calls me and I don't want to call them back. Mm. Um, and, or I would just look at my phone. I'm like, I don't want to answer this. Or like, I'm not excited to interact with somebody that's hired me to help them. Right. That ultimately will provide income. They're hiring me to give me money. And if I'm not excited or interested in interacting with that person, for me, that's a personal sign. I've learned over the years that I need to take a break. Hmm. I need I need a vacation. So I just want to say that. Um, but when it comes to mindset, um, I think the ownership is a big thing. Like if it's to be, it's up to me. Um, I, I was listening. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I was listening to somebody who was talking about um, getting out of a, a bad relationship. 
And uh, he was talking to his counselor, this person on the podcast, and the counselor told him, you need to get with it and start, you know, moving forward with this because no one is coming to save you. No one's coming to save you. And when you're self-employed, you have to answer that email. You have to show up. You have to respond. Nobody's going to do it for you. You know, I was on a, a real estate team, that team that hired me. I was with them for a little over seven years and there was a lot of admin. We had like, I had a, a couple personal assistant type things. I had transaction managers. I had things where I could dish the rock to, to have a different conversation. Um, and I didn't really like that because I like my clients and I, the relationship is more important to me than the deal. Um, and, um, but that mindset of like, nobody's going to do this for you. Mm-hmm you have to do it. Like that is something that is just vital. Like it's just vital. So practically speaking, how I would recommend somebody get their mindset in a place that, um, you know, I would say is a winning mindset in, in a self-employed world is, um, you, you can only like or love somebody as much as you like or love yourself. And when you're interacting with people, if you have a very poor self-talk, if you're saying negative things to yourself all the time, and you wouldn't say those same things to somebody you're in relationship with, you're going to bleed out on them in one way or another. You have to improve your view of yourself. So that means um, for me over the years, you know, I, when I get super, super stressed out and I'm in a bad spot, I'm just overworked, tired, not doing it. Dude, I'll like, I'll just overdrink to not feel. And I, that's not a healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I when I'm in a spot where I'm like, nah, I don't need a beer today. Nah, I'm good. I'll just drink water, go to sleep. You know, like that's good. That's like a healthy place to be because I'm taking care of myself. So I would say, like, you know, don't be on the internet all the time when it comes to like social media. There's nothing there for you. You know, there's things you can learn from and stuff, but like if you're just the type of person that's just gonna scroll on that for eight hours a day, there's better things to do with your time. Sure. Go outside, you know, get coffee with somebody, have a conversation, be, you know, call your grandma, um, exercise, you know, drink water. So I would say go to bed early, wake up early, drink water, um, exercise. I exercise like super hard, like six days a week usually. And, um, man, that's so great. It's just so great. Um, because like nobody can do something harder to me than what I'm doing to me. Like my business isn't harder than the exercise that I'm doing. And if you do it in the morning and you get the hardest part out of your day up front, everything else is groovy. There's nothing that's going to be that bad. I just went through hell. You know, like it's yeah. not gonna be that bad. Like I try to like throw up every time I work out. I, think- I don't, but, <laughs> but you know, like I try. I, yeah. You know, like if I push myself that hard, no client is going to push me that hard. Yeah. I, th- I think it's all about pushing those boundaries. So if you expose yourself to hard things and you're constantly uncomfortable with stuff. Yeah. The the normal day-to-day will become much easier. Yeah. You have to earn it. You have to earn it. And and I think in self-employed world, rejection is a big one. Mm. I've hired a, a quite a few people over the years. And one of the roles I was uh I had when I was on that team was I was in charge of hiring and training agents. And um some people couldn't handle rejection being said no to somebody choosing someone instead of them. And man, you got to eat a heaping bowl of rejection every morning, no milk. Yeah. And you know, it's like, you just have to be like, I am not what somebody is rejecting. They're just choosing something other than me. Right. 
you know, and, and a lot of times people, um, they, they line up their identity with their business performance. I am not my business. My business is not me. In my particular world, my business relationships and my personal relationships, who I am professionally and who I am personally do really, you know, really much like, or a lot, they, they overlap, mm -hmm. you know, like my clients become my friends and my friends become my clients. So I, my world is a little bit different than maybe a lot of people who have businesses, but like, you know, you can't, you can't just like, once you get rejected, you can't give up. You have to be willing to like work through hard things. Like the days are long, but the years go by really quick. I remember sitting in that basement, that half finished basement and having no money and looking about how I was going to pay my student loan payment and seeing that there's going to be $38 left after paying the payment and not knowing where the next money was going to come from. And like, Oh fudge, I guess I can only fill my gas tank up halfway this month or this week. Or like, I remember uh first really um, expensive house I sold. It was close to like a million dollars. Um, and I was 23 and I was driving this car that, like I told you, caught on fire and had a bad alternator. And in winter time, it wouldn't start every time I would like turn the key. And I remember being like, we had a, when somebody sees houses, you know, we'll sometimes line up like a tour, like we'll go see house number one and then drive to house number two, et cetera. And they follow you in your car. Um, and I remember being in front of this really expensive house in the middle of winter and trying to start my car and it wouldn't start. And they're just sitting in the car behind me. And I'm just like, it took me probably five minutes of the light flashing on and off before my car would start. And then going to the next house and not knowing if my car was going to start to go to the next house. And I remember being like that. And so a lot of people are motivated by, you know, progress. And I'm, I would say I'm largely motivated by fear. Hmm. You know, I don't want to go back to that because it shaped me, but it wasn't fun. And I, you know, I, I want, I, I don't want to put myself back there. I don't want like my family to go back there. But at the same time, I also recognize that my work ethic, my perspective, perseverance, um, willing to work through hard things, rejection, all these things, you know, comes from having to push through all that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I'm just like super grateful to be doing what I'm doing and where I'm at. I never thought I, you know, I accomplished everything I dreamed of like five years ago. And I was like, they're like, so what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't know. I got to figure out more gold. You know, <laughs> like I never dreamed I'd be anywhere where I'm at. It's been incredible. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The the thing you brought me there with the, uh, the persistence, um, and the kind of like the getting over the, the, the rejection part of things there's, um, I forget who, who the person was, it was Barbara Corcoran or, mm -hmm. uh, Sarah Blakely or someone like that. Um, but they wanted to get funding for either for buying property or for like their, their business. And they had to go to, I think it was uh, 30 some banks and they didn't get approval to like the 31st or 32nd bank. Can you imagine that going to 30 banks? I mean, I think most people would probably stop after like two. You know Bro, what I mean? I get it, dude. I get and it. It's too. like, but it's like, it goes to show like this has been done before. It is replicatable. You can do this. And so, you know, even I think, every, I think everybody still needs reminders of that constantly. You know what I mean? Like Definitely. you said in the morning, it's a good time for that. But, um, but yeah. Um, so before we wrap up here, I have a quick question round. So here we kind of dump into a few quick questions, just to get your thoughts on a couple of things. All right. And then we'll wrap up. All right. Um, so the first one is what is the coolest thing that you've seen lately? Could be anything. Could be, you know, in real estate, could be uh, in whatever popular culture, whatever. I uh I like nature a lot. Um, and so we moved not too long ago. And um we have we're kind of in the woods now, and the people who own the home before us. Um, they were quite the green thumbs 
And so they have all these crazy plants planted everywhere. And I've taken out like 20 bushes and I haven't even made a dent. Um, and, but they have this stuff planted so that uh, every month from spring through fall, a different plant, as I'm coming to find out, a different plant uh, blooms. Hmm. And so when all the early spring plants, you know, the flowers go away, there's another set of plants that have these flowers coming up and it's blowing my mind. Uh, and so every time I show up at my house, I'm like, dude, where are these plants coming from? They got new flowers, you know? That's pretty sweet. So that's probably the coolest thing I've seen recently. That's dope. Um, what tools do you currently use on a daily basis that you couldn't live without? Um, I, I'm a bit of a minimalist, uh, personally. So I would say Burt's Bees chapstick. Uh, <laughs> uh that's a, that's a, that's a big one for me. I have this that's sweet backpack, uh, go ruck, go ruck backpack. Uh, this is a GR one. Um, but basically it has like a bomb proof, uh, laptop case in it, uh, lifetime warranty made in America, uh, super cool backpack. And basically everything, my entire office is in my backpack. Um, so if you were to show up at my office, I have a, on my desk, I have a lamp, I have a set of blue light glasses. I have a, a paper folder, like divider thing on my desk and I have a charger and that's all I have. And then I have a drawer of some business cards. That's nice. Um, so yeah, it's, I've been the, the number one agent in the number one office in Chester County for the past few years. And, um, everything's in my backpack. You don't need fancy stuff. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Um, Number three, uh, what are the most um, transformational changes you're looking to make over the next 90 days? That can be personal or, or professional. Yeah, I want to get shredded, man. I want to come into the summer looking good. So what I've been doing is I'll, I've been doing uh, super high rep, difficult supersets hmm. uh, at the gym. So like I'll run like, let's say a mile and then I'll do a hundred reps for like sets of 10. So 10 sets. A lot of people will do... Um, like three or four sets. So I'll do 10 sets of 10 of something mm-hmm. um, and superset that with three or four other things, 10 sets of 10. So for example, the other day I did um, uh, 10 sets of 10 kettlebell swings with um, 10 sets of 10 goblet squats, 10 sets of 10 dips, 10 sets of 10 uh, V up core workouts, repeat. So you do one, next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing, back to number one, then you're on set number two in 10 sets of that. Try to do as fast as you can, then run another mile. Uh, today I did, um, I ran a mile for a warm up, got in stretched, ran a, while, a mile for a warm up, 10 sets of 10 for pull ups, 10 sets of 10 for um, basically it's like a, a medicine ball thruster, mm-hmm. and then 10 sets of 10 big boy sit ups with the medicine ball. Uh, got through that as quick as I can, then ran another mile. Nice, dude. Yeah. Hey, how you been liking it? Oh, I feel it sucks, but it's great. Yeah. <laughs> that, that That's a common phrase, you know, I mean, if, if you're yeah. pushing yourself, it, it sucks, but it's great. Yeah. Um, What advice would you give to any young maybe entrepreneur, maybe specifically in real estate or, or otherwise, um, or someone starting a business? I would say um, if you're, you have a little bit more flexibility, you're a little more resilient when you're younger, kind of like kids, they like, they don't get hurt as easier. Um, the earlier you're starting a business, I feel like you have a little less to lose. Um, mm-hmm. like you, if you're not married or don't have kids or don't have a house or a mortgage or all these things, you're just kind of, you know, doing your thing. I would say decrease your outgoing expenses as much as you can try to pay off all unneeded debt. You know, I would, I would prefer if everybody was debt free, you have a lot more flexibility to do whatever you want to do. Um, and then I would say, um, don't jump too soon. You know, for me, what's what really worked was I worked for that tree person for a year 
and did real estate nights and weekends and learned. Mm -hmm. And then once my income in real estate was equal to or greater than my, essentially my income in my side gig was equal or to or greater than my income in my full-time gig, then it, it's an easy transition to step off the dock onto the boat. Mm -hmm. It's not too far. Um, and so if somebody was looking to start a business, I would say, you know, start it as a side gig, test the water, see if you can make income with it. And then when the income as a side gig is equal or greater to your income as your full, at your full-time gig, you, you'll be okay when yeah. you jump into that full-time. A lot of people do it too soon or they're just not willing to put in the time of starting a business because you work harder when you start than what you ultimately will end up working later on in most cases. But conversely, you make less than you're working for when you start so that later you can make more than you're working for. You put more effort in up front to make less money so that later you put less effort in to make more money. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. Finally, what is your favorite beverage? Favorite beverage? I would say, and I always come back to this of like, what do I always go back to? Like, what, what do I come back to, you know, consistently? I would say an old fashioned is pretty much like if I was to go out to dinner, I'm pretty much getting an old fashioned. That's your tried and true? Pretty much every time. <laughs> um, but then uh, if I were to talk beer, we're talking a lot about beer. Um, there's a local brewery called Levante. Uh, they have this beer that's uh, somewhat well-known in this area. I don't know across the country or not, but called Cloudy and Cumbersome. It's a hazier IPA type uh, New England style. Uh, it has a lot of like weedy type notes in it. And I really like that. Um, it's kind of like a mix of that farm ale I was talking about with like a New England style IPA. Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the next minute or so is yours. If you want to plug anything, um, you know, drop your contact or social or anything like that, feel free to. I don't really have many much social media. I uh, <laughs> I have a Facebook. I'm barely on it. Uh, Derek Ducky Ryan um, is what everybody calls me. Uh, anything that you see out there will probably be Ducky Ryan. Um, I have a Zillow page. Uh, if you search Ducky Ryan, um, real estate agent will pop up, but I don't have a website. I don't have uh, a Facebook. I'm all word of mouth. So, you know, or I don't have a social media really don't really do any marketing. So all my contact info, if you Google me, there's a Google business page uh, that'll have my contact info. Zillow will have my contact uh, contact info. Probably don't contact me through Facebook because I don't really check it. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, just call me, text me and I'll respond as quick as I can. Cool, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Really do. A lot of fun, dude. It's good hanging out. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and all major platforms, and you'll get notifications whenever new episodes are posted. If you want to write to us, our uh, email is leverageandbeverage at gmail.com, and our Instagram is at leverageandbeverage. I'm Greg Subasinski. You've been listening to Leverage and Beverage. As always, keep pushing forward one sip at a time. <laughs>